Welcome to Usual Pets, an arts and poetic philosophy podcast with hosts Richard Gilbert and Jeff Cairns. For more episodes or to support the podcast, go to usualpets.com. Welcome to the first episode of Usual Pets. In this episode, we offer the sonic cognition of wondrous transmogrified filaments, or what the fuck? Our WTF is six minutes long and composed of a nonlinear flow of spoken word, underscored by original music, followed by the leap, diving into the abyss between, why do art? improvisation, flow, and losing control, and dreams. Please enjoy. The brain makes connections of synchronicity, immediate connective involvement. But then, it's just animals who live. A lot of chainsawing trees yesterday and lifting, throwing logs and other challenging things. Earlier, 16 hours ago, I went shopping for outdoor work clothes. The police stopped my scooter. If you don't have your foreign resident card with you, it's against some law, so that took a couple of hours. I thought I'd feel better after really strenuous work I do still sip vodka with sparkling water and citrus on the sofa, kicking back, with a little TV and a beautiful fire in the wood stove. I hope to be strong enough for some years to continue land maintenance. Chainsawing trees. Anyway, impermanence. There's preciousness in it. By the way, Gilbert and Cairns are working on new music with new techniques. Jeff has a fish tank and two budgies. I have a cute mini poodle. Plus, there's woodland wildlife. The thing about usual pets would be to let their random activities just fit into the music. I'd start with the first thematic downbeat matched to a food peck of a budgie or a perching flutter. I propose this text. The brevity of each piece is appealing. Call it animal music or pet music. We can also do flowers in the spring. I imagine emotive themes and chords with shakuhachi and some guitar and orchestral pads and stabs. Scores with strong melodies, but basically scores. I'm also an animal doing random things. I don't feel there are words in it, but the creation of small emotive musical worlds out of the worlds that simply are around here, our local environment. People seem enthralled with pets doing stupid or anthropomorphic shit or interspecies love, my favorites. 
I'm partly influenced by Eno and cat videos. There's so many silly short cat videos and generally idiotic bits on the net, and I'd like to add something to this general pollution. The concept is more pointless and presence-oriented because the narrative story is minimal and depends on the music. I must like small, intense worlds that speak for themselves. Also, the idea of creating a series of these worlds at the same time, over time. Though art product is involved, as usual, there's no real money in it, or any particular ideology or political statement. Though perhaps feeling, and sometimes subversive comedy, haiku humor, it shouldn't be trite or tropey. Winter involves so much quiet here. It is truly silent at night. Though my small room heater is running, I can turn it off. This would not make a good video. Genre expression is important. Most of what grows isn't flowers. Though they can be considered as usual, familiar pets. Odes to pets? Animal videos and odes to pets. On the news, cats are playing piano. Wild, violent demonstrations. Political analysis. Horrible stats about job loss and hunger. Refugees. Mass extinction. Environment degradation. Global climate change. In fact, it's pretty useless. Much in the way fish in a tank in the living room are useless, or the budgies? A dog is more of the human family, though he seems also to have his own routines and sleep spots, and favorite non-human interactive activities. It's interesting wanting to make things. There's very little point in it. I think that art creation was once driven by grander narratives, even by saving souls, or the world with art, or meditation, or therapy, with poems also. Not that this isn't actually correct in some way. It's a condensation, yes. And there's not enough oppression to really make the grade. Does diversity trump competence? Art seems pretty relevant to all this. Even humor seems relevant. The brain makes connections of synchronicity, immediate connective involvement. We all are usual pets. So, Richard, after listening to the monologue at the beginning, it occurred to me that that sort of presentation requires a leap in, for a listener. It required a leap for me. And what I mean by a leap is that you, you have to sort of abandon yourself to it because there's so much non-linearity in it that 
you can't really make anything concrete out of it from the beginning to the end. So uh, I just had a sense. I had this image in my head of, uh, I saw this in a video, a bobcat jumping over like five meters of river. And it was in slow motion. And the bobcat just sort of flew through the air and kept increasing in altitude and then at the middle of the river started coming down again and actually hit the other bank. It was like five meters. And that image of a leap in between the starting point and the ending point is a, is a kind of abyss or somewhere that you can fall into that perhaps you don't want to fall into. You're going to get wet or something like that, you know? And I got that sense with this monologue too, that in order to really dive into it, you have to abandon yourself to the abyss that lies in the middle in hopes of reaching your projected end, whatever it is. And I felt the sounds that we created behind this monologue were really, they really gave that image to me of the abandonment. It's just like this meandering little crispy, crunchy things and kind of a sound that's not going anywhere, but we ended up at the end and the end was kind of like the beginning and it was, <laughs> you know, unusual pets or usual pets. We're all usual pets, so... It was just a thought that came to me, the leap. And uh, a leap is an interesting image to me, I feel. It's more than a jump. It's a leap. It's kind of giving into the, the experience of air and the uh, giving into the experience of being unattached to anything as you go through it. No, it's just a thought that came to me. I think that's a good place to start with a leap hmm. versus a jump. Yeah. And also with a bobcat or like I'm from Colorado. Hmm. You lived in Colorado a long time. So yeah, uh, it would be a mountain lion. Yeah. Same animal. Yeah, sort of. I was once attacked by a mountain lion. Were you? Like how close of an attack did you get? Because, you know, you don't get attacked twice by mountain lions, basically. No, no actually the Forest Service uh, had tracked it later uh. for two weeks and shot it because it had attacked a baby before. Like it was a known, if they come out of the wild mm. and have a, you know, a scent of humanness, human pheromones, whatever it is. And have gotten interested, then they, they have to be taken out. Oh, I see. Which doesn't happen very often. It was a summer, and I'd walked up above Chautauqua Park, which is a beautiful uh, park in Boulder, in uh, Boulder, Colorado. And, you know, you walk up just uh, literally like 15 minutes, and you're in the wild. I mean, yeah. it's quite amazing. Yeah, it's like, I've been to Boulder. Yeah, and just suddenly you're you're actually still at the edge of the what they call the foothills, but, uh, you know, you're pretty high up. And it was dusk, and I heard a sound that sounded like, the, the closest sound was like a shh, like a hiss sound, oh. like a snake. And I looked toward the sound, I just saw these kind of luminous green eyes that were, it didn't register. A snake was in my mind. <laughs> and I remember having a moment, every hair on my body stood on end. 
It was a purely animal, utterly visceral, raw reaction. I had a stick in my hand. I was just sitting meditating, really, and just the sun was going down. And I pounded on the ground. The words that came out of my mouth were, I am a man, I have work to do. Out of complete panic, that's what came out of my mouth. I really had the raw sense that I was about to be attacked. I'd been sitting there for probably half hour. It was dark. The color of the, of the land was uh, fading into, you know, kind of grays. Without looking back, I just ran as fast as I could on a very dangerous, rocky, slippery slope that was fairly vertical. I never slipped or fell, and I still have no idea how I did that. And I was just that scared. I don't know why I mentioned that. You don't really hear about bobcats or mountain lions. No, you don't. And and uh, that story brings another story to mind that I, it was a video, it's not my story, but um, it was a video a guy took in Boulder and he was jogging on uh, some mountain path. And exactly the same thing. Suddenly a mountain lion was running after him, you know, along the path. And, but he knew it. He knew it was there. Right. And he continued running and filming the mountain lion behind him. And you could uh, hear his voice through the whole thing. Oh, you know? yeah. it, his voice was really interesting because it was jumping <laughs> from sheer panic to this weird comedic uh, rant that he was going on. Like, he would be running along. He's going, good kitty, good kitty. <laughs> Holy shit, there's a mountain lion running after me. Yeah. Do you see that? Good kitty, good kitty. You know, this kind of stuff. It was really funny. There was some freak out or hysteria mixed in. Yeah. Well, I guess he was intending on filming himself running and having some commentary going on while he was doing, not expecting that to fall into place. And eventually the mountain lion gave up. Oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, he just kept running. He's just not, not worth the effort. Sounds like your story in a way. I had the feeling being chased in my mind, but in actuality, my own footfalls and breathing were lou louder than... I didn't stop. That's a good aside. It is. For the peace, I suppose. Getting back to the, the idea of leap and abandonment of a certain sense of your place, we've been doing music for a long time, and, and a lot of the music that I do is improvisational. Improvisation, for me, also falls into that category at certain times, where you're just, you abandon yourself to the situation and and really not try to view the situation at all or impose yourself in any particular way. That is, there's a kind of flow that happens through you, in a sense. I mean, of course, it's what comes out is probably formed and restricted by your capabilities of, you know, in whatever you're doing. But uh, nonetheless, there's this kind of space that you feel yourself in that is not a space you're trying to control. It's not a space you're trying to say, 
banging a stick on the ground and going, I'm a man, I have work to do, you know, or anything like that. It's just kind of nothing space. But there's a lot of tangible matter in that nothing space, I think, especially in the sense of improvisation. So a leap to me embodies that aspect mm. of falling into a space that has a lot of tangible matter, but you sort of move through it without being the person in control necessarily of that. I don't know. What do you think about that? This is an interesting contrast between being quote-unquote creative and making art and then the experience that I related of a completely raw, embodied, fearful experience with a wild animal, a dangerous wild animal. I don't think... I feel risk in art production or creative work at, at anything like that level. Although this is probably, this experience right now is something that I wanted to do or feel drawn to do because it's risky, because it's public. Our artistic drive and mm -hmm. compositional activity is probably more important to us or more, more valuable to us than maybe our day-to-day our -day things that we do to actually be able to exist and survive. So we sort of take care of survival. As an aside, that freedom or that openness, that space that you were just relating of, the improvisational space, mm. we experience that in different modes. I'm not, um, I do improvise on, on my instrument, but much more it's in writing. Yeah. The situation in writing is that the piece that that we made together. I had crafted the words, but it goes through some drafts and a lot was taken out. Mm. But what was retained and why? I think that I didn't want to make a narrative that was like super linear and contained. Mm. Part of the reason for that is I don't think I've ever been able to share a certain level of really unrestrained process, unrestrained idea flow, image flow, etc. But here's the tightrope, the leap where you do have to land on the other side. The closest metaphor to the words of the piece, the term usual pets comes up. It's not really quite defined, but there's some connotations given. This kind of writing is very hypnagogic. It's very much between wake and sleep or that feeling that we have of between wake and sleep. The sense of reaching out into an opening explorative world in writing, it's really paradoxical because in, in one way it's very internal, you know, writing is you're isolated and your activities are kind of shut out in a way. Even your perceptions are sort of somehow indrawn. With words, there's a cognitive aspect that can trap you. You're trained on various wind instruments, but especially shakuhachi and other people aren't. They can't even make a sound out of it, I tried. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult to make a sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to work at that, just mm -hmm. one sound. You know, everyone is an eloquent speaker. Words have a precise and cutting aspect. People take meanings. They take meanings and images out of the phrases all the time, instantly. If I'm a word expert, so are you, so is everyone who's speaking the language. Usually in words, if I want to be quote-unquote creative or right-brained or like flowing intuitive, it would be a poem. But that isn't what I tried to write. Mm -hmm. 
there is a curatorial quality which isn't so editorial. I'm not trying to chop things up or out so that everything actually does make sense. I just want to convey that flow. I hope that the listener is invited into a kind of space like that the music that we made, it isn't just supporting the voice, it's actually an environment and the voice is part of it and the ideas are part of it, but you can't hang on to them. Yeah. There's an intention of the theme of usual pets. Mm -hmm. To speak in that way from that space does feel risky and unfamiliar also. Mm. Does it really hold together or work? Certainly, you know, a person listening will cue into certain moments in it where the music or the lack of music uh, really sort of accentuated what you were talking about or something that you were saying within the text. And I think in that way, the interplay between those two things, you know, you're not just focusing on the so-called musical sounds and you're not just focusing on, on the verbal stuff that's going on either. It's kind of like uh, swimming in jello to me. <laughs> right. You know, I think it's an interesting medium. I really look forward to doing more. Why are we drawn into these spaces or in, into the sense of environment? It's really undefinable within the wider culture in my experience. It isn't valued. It's certainly not valued in, my, in the educational system. And maybe it can't be. Maybe I wouldn't want to be graded on something like this anyway. You can't be <laughs> exactly taught. We're on the way from sleep to work, or we're on the way from, well, whatever our routine is in the morning or, in the, or at night, you know, or you wake up in the middle of the night and transition and strangeness and the who am I-ness, and I don't know how to explore that and how to, to make something to share. You've got to have intention and you've got to have some kind of effort to shape it. Mm -hmm. I do have a sense of uh, the importance of preservation, that there's something worthwhile in creating the environment for the six and a half minutes that we did, and also to invite others, listeners, um, even a sense of community of others that are likewise exploring the, this kind of um, somewhat untrammeled, unremarked upon process space. I'm not sure what to call this kind of space. I'm sure you experience this sense of in-betweenness, well, uh, I think uh, that's exactly what I started this talk with. And that's the place in the middle of the leap that uh, it, you, is a kind of abandonment, a kind of void to, re waiting to be filled, a kind of uh, improvisational space where pretty much anything goes. But uh, within the broader view of that, mm you know, getting back to the bobcat jumping over the river, within the stepping back and looking at that, obviously that bobcat had incredible intention right. and, uh, you know, was able to calibrate its body in order to fling itself such a distance uh, successfully. But because of the way it was portrayed in the middle, it just appeared like it was just 
zooming, you know, like it was mm-hmm. never going to touch ground. Like it suddenly it's up in the air and and that uh, it just sort of clicked a lot of things mm-hmm. in me where I have experienced that feeling many, many times. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in extremely dangerous situations too. Mm-hmm. Potential uh, car accidents, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced the, the feeling of you're in the process of an accident and you give up. You just sort of yeah, go, yeah. that's it. Yeah, it's happening. You know, it's, I can't do anything. Yeah. I'm not scared. That's it. There right. it is. And you're in that void, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, you're in that, that huge limitless space. Time is not there. Yeah, it's just kind of not really there. And That is an interesting shift of consciousness for yeah, sure. Yeah, it is a really interesting shift of consciousness. And I suppose, I don't know, do we do that as a form of protection or is it... Uh, like a, a evolutional um, yeah, I circuits or something? That. You know, it feels like it's yeah. so natural. In a way, it's like it so is. immediate. Yeah, I feel that too. A phrase popped into my mind as we were talking about the bobcat, le- you know, in the middle of the leap, embodied presence in the arc of travel. <laughs> yeah. That arc or that experience of embodied presence in in the movement, there actually is an outer environment all the time. Mm -hmm. But in that embodied presence in the arc of travel, there's a really long-term process. Like when you work in that area of leap for some, you know, years and you just have an intention... There's a familiarity develops and there's an acceleration where you're, you, you know, when it happens, like it's not just stream of consciousness, it's because actually there's a, there's a kind of waiting, there's a kind of staying balanced in the air or, mm-hmm. or something like that, mm-hmm. where I'm still in, in the energy and I just have to let it, like words aren't coming. Mm. That feeling of the arc of travel is very blissful. Mm. The unexpectedness of the thoughts that come out, like not restricting yourself to any rules, like with grammar. You could relax to the point where it's just gibberish or wild, you know, wild forms, which is might be very interesting to do that. Mm. My best uh, leaping of this sort has come through letter writing, or at least uh, I'm not actually composing a letter at that moment, but it's the thought that I'm speaking to a friend I'm trying mm, to be yeah. coherent. It's I not, I'm not just like, oh, I'm just going to make some, mm-hmm. you know, strange stuff now. Mm-hmm. Wanting another person that I know to enter into an experience, there's some will toward evocation in, mm-hmm. in this. Yeah. Well, the reason I started talking about the leap at the beginning is basically the thoughts that I had about the monologue. And I was thinking, um, how will a variety of different people actually experience that monologue? I know some people that pretty much would listen to it and go, what? What is that? I mean, that's just a bunch of nonsense, you know. And, uh, but, uh, well, uh, it's not a question of blaming at all. It's just, the you know, what they're willing to allow themselves to experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I know others uh, that will just go with the leap, that arc of travel that, that you spoke about the, uh, within the leap, and not look for anything in particular in that journey. But after they've reached the other side, mm-hmm. the other bank, 
assess their feeling and, you know, what do I feel like or what do I see or what, what kind of vision do I have after that? Not necessarily, well, that was an interesting point and yeah, I, I'd like, mm-hmm. I wish he talked more about that point or something like that, yeah. you know, but, but just, yeah, how do I feel after that? And, and I hope actually listeners, uh, people who agree to listen to this podcast, do it in a way like that, that they allow themselves to pass over that journey of the monologue and assess their feelings after they get through it, you know? I realize not everybody sort of mm. thinks in terms of feelings in that way, and I tend to be kind of visual in my ways of assessing large group experiences in, in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, rather than... So nonlinear experiences for me are really interesting. Uh, I like them uh, because of the way I just abandon to it. And then at the end, I just go, well, what do I see? What do I feel? How do I feel? You know, that kind of thing. So it's, it has that sensory aspect uh, appealing to senses afterwards and not just words. Yeah. I think there's a, a line toward the end of the monologue piece that the ending phrase is, well, there's feeling. Mm-hmm. The meaning there in the text, it said, this art isn't political, it doesn't have an ideology, it doesn't make money. It's really not particularly utile, but there's feeling. There's yeah. feeling. And right. uh, if you think of feeling, you, there's emotion, but I think that there's another kind of sense of feeling which is very sensation-oriented. It's a deep in, in Japanese, huniki, you know, it's the, it's, that means like ambiance. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of ambient feeling. It's not so definable, but it's like you, you enter into a rich world. It's winter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a winter vibe, I think, yeah. going along, right? Because yeah. it is winter now. I remember uh, James Hillman, the archetypal psychologist, said about dreams. He said, why are we so quick to give meaning to dreams. Like as soon as you give your dream a meaning, you stop feeling it. You've stopped the flow of images. You're, you're not attending to psyche anymore. You, you're just so quick to ascribe meaning. But if you just go back and stick with the image, if there's a, a personage who came to you in your dream, even a nightmare, to go back or close your eyes and ask them, why are you here? What are you doing? Can I attend to you? This was in his uh, psychological process. That's very much uh, affected my life as a person, as an artist. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on in uh, neurology, neurophysiology, neuropsychology that seems to be trying to create a paradigm that as human beings were computationally quantifiable. Oh. Here's one thing that is just mind-blowing to me. Your dream is unlike any other human being in the world that's ever been and probably ever will be. And why is that? Like, whatever you've dreamed has idiosyncrasy. I think we know that that's true. I mean, not to say there aren't archetypes or themes or whatever, but the actual particular content of the shifts and images and colors and stories and figures and all of who knows why, that is the brilliantly creative aspect of humanity going on and we don't Mm. remark upon it and we don't often capture it. I trust that when I'm in this kind of state of process that it is highly idiosyncratic 
there's something going on here that is maybe a way, a way to experience uh, what that strange leap of uniqueness is. Mm. Speaking of being attracted, and one of the things that we hope to do in this podcast is to also offer short pieces of music uh, that will in one platform be accompanied probably by video. And uh, the video that we're going to be putting up is of usual pets, uh, whatever they happen to be and whatever, wherever we happen to go with that. And we want to, uh, in a sense, accompany the video, not directly necessarily, but in a, in a sense of accompaniment uh, with music that we create. And in this platform of our audio podcast, we're going to be presenting the music end of that, uh, which we're going to do right now. Imagine two usual fish in a small aquarium over two minutes of time. This will be our first Usual Pets video, I think, and our plan is that for subscribers, the video is available. Uh, we'll be using Patreon for subscribers who right. can also do like Q&A and uh, maybe create more of a community. Absolutely one of our intentions is to yeah. try to create some sort of community in this. The audio aspect of the podcast, it's always will remain free. Yeah. 
And we're also thinking about possibly doing interviews with other artists, uh, sharing work, the work of other artists. Uh, of course, it's in an audio format, but we may be able to link and to visual arts. Right. If those of you out there are wanting to appear or contact us, we are open to that. I think we both personally find art process extremely uh, valuable and possibly life-saving, possibly mm -hmm. life-redeeming, and also maybe there's an increase of generosity toward others. So, everybody, be kind to your usual pets. Yes. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Richard. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to Usual Pets on your favorite podcasting platform. You can also leave a comment at usualpets.com. If you would like to support Usual Pets, please consider becoming a patron and head over to the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash usualpets. Music for this podcast has been composed and performed by Gilbert and Cairns. 